welcome to Design Assembly Conversations. In this series, we talk to Aotearoa New Zealand designers, hear their stories and celebrate their work. I'm Louise, and today I'm talking to Will Bardabas, an educator at Unitech and a designer. Will is currently the discipline lead of animation and graphic design within the Faculty of Creative Industries at Unitech Institute of Technology in Auckland. He also maintains a professional and personal design practice spanning the fields of digital, motion and video design through to publication design and risograph printing. Kia ora Will, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I'd like to first start at the beginning of your journey and ask um, where you're from. Kia ora, I'm from the illustrious city of Palmerston North which, yeah, always kind of elicits a giggle one way or another. I lived there till I was a teenager and then moved to the larger metropolis of Whakatane. And after a very short time there, I eventually made my way up to Auckland. Mm. I think I've been living in Auckland last 30 years or so. What led you into design? When I was three... Um, I, I started to teach myself to um, write. I couldn't read, but I was looking at comic books and was really interested. I knew I knew they were letters. I knew they made words. And so I just started copying them. And I remember before all the junk of childhood was lost that there were these incredibly bad scrawlings of, hey, kids, sell grit, and sea monkeys come to life and you'll in your bedroom and essentially I was looking at old um, pulpy Spider-Man and Batman comics and you know there was always that page that was totally crammed with little wee ads that for me all the little detail was completely fascinating and I, I ended up not really reading the comic books but just looking at all the ephemera around the comic book and so that was kind of my introduction to type and to print, and then the one day, and I would have been four or five, I came across the double loop G, and I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a really bizarre number eight, and so I asked my nana, who um, helped raise me, I said, what's this? And she said, that's the letter G. And then I rifled through and pointed, that's the letter G, and she said, yes. And so I, I was stuck in this um, moment of suspension of belief that a G can be a G but not be a G at the same time. And that was a very um, illuminating, I guess, introduction to how typefaces take on the myriad of forms, no pun intended. That's fascinating. Um, and did you kind of continue this practice, you know, throughout your childhood of really paying attention to... Uh, you know, the form of letters? Um, yeah, I, it, it kind of shifted a little bit until when I was maybe eight or nine, I got the junior children's encyclopedia and there was one page on art and it had Roy Lichtenstein's Wham! Um, um, two-panel work. And, and, and there was this page on art and, you know, I had a child's preconception of what art was. But then there was this comic thing. So I think there's a tangential link. And, and, and again, that sort of blew my mind. And the idea that I could see the shading was made of dots. And, I and yeah, the, the visual world suddenly started to become really, really quite interesting. 
So there's obviously something that drew you towards that or um, just this affinity really with the visual expression in the visual world in, in general from that young age. Yeah, I, I guess it's, I, I, I grew up in, an, in a neighbourhood that was mostly retirees, so there weren't a lot of kids around. So um, TV was, there was one channel and it was black and white. So the the colour of the world um, came to me in, in printed form. So I was always poring over, looking at the image, but always in the back of my mind was, well, if two things can mean one thing, be the same representation, then what does anything mean? Mm. And so I was quietly puzzling my way through childhood and probably I'm still puzzling away right now. And... Uh... Did you study art at um, high school? I tried, but um, I my, my whole childhood, everyone said that I was quite arty and um, because I was always drawing pictures and things. And so by the time that it came to do such at high school, it was like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to conform to everyone else's boxes. And um, instead did sewing which, um, yeah, I really regret now because um, as as much as I love art and design, um, I really do wish I could draw a lot better. Yeah, I shot myself in the foot there, but having having that as one of my career standards, it it gives time for a lot of introspection, which I think think is a um, really common place for most graphic designers. uh, I've recently bought the um, book How to Be a Great Graphic Designer, which is just a whole bunch of interviews. And everybody sounds really quite neurotic and um, unsure of themselves. And so it was it was really, really comforting. Just it, it didn't, you know, no, not one single chapter made me a better graphic designer but it was just it was kind of like an episode of Dr Katz when everyone is on the couch just having a gripe about what they do. And that feeling I think of relating to um, relating to your peers and um, feeling part of your tribe. Yeah well there's always and and this is one of the things that we tackle in education is that there is this myth of perfection and people don't do well, especially students, they don't produce work because they know it's not going to be perfect. Mm. And, you know, this is one of those nasty things of the influencer um, economy that we have on social media. But perfection is a myth, and we need to embrace uncertainty and and we need to roll around in our mistakes because Mm. I I think that's where value is and I think that's where growth is. So Mm. as, as you would know, Make a mark first and think second. Let the eyes do the talking. With not studying, um, you know, art at um, high school, uh, how did you find yourself uh, studying design at a um, tertiary uh, level? I guess as, as well as, you know, looking at books, I was like most kids leaping around on the bed, shouting into a um, hairbrush, um, I was listening usually to my mother's records, um, the Supremes. Music was equally uh, a vibrant part of my childhood. And as soon as I uh, left high school, I got involved in bands and um, gigs and the such. And so um, 
someone had to make a poster or someone had to make a cover for the cassette or um, there was always hanging around and drawing pictures and sometimes maybe cans of spray paint came out in the middle of the night in the back streets of Rotorua. Yeah, so there was, even even though there was no formal training, there was the need to be graphically present. Otherwise, people wouldn't come and hear us squawking away on a stage. And you started your um, early career working as a designer. Um, and, you know, back then it was back then. <laughs> well, we were both back, back then. Way back yep. then it was uh, interaction design, which I, um, when I was doing a little bit of, um, you know, research and looking at your LinkedIn profile, I had to kind of laugh at again because I hadn't kind of thought about that term for a while. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about your um, kind of early career as a working designer and Yeah, um, after I got sick of the music industry, I realised that I I wasn't going to be 25 forever, despite all the promises I made myself. And so I went to design school because I thought, well, I I need to do something that people will need, that there'll be a constant um, need for. And I thought furniture was going to be it. And then I got on a computer and suddenly, like the turning point at the beginning of Wizard of Oz, um, the world turned to a a brighter set of colours for me. And it was like, hang on, wait. So if I do this in this program, all these behaviours and patterns, they map across, and they did. And suddenly it was like someone who can barely talk, being able to play the grand piano, you know, my idiot savant moment. So um, I took to the computer... Um, really, really natively and ended up doing, um, at the same time as studying, I was a factory hand for a guy called Matthew von Sturmer, who was a New Zealand furniture uh, designer. And I ended up um, doing a bit of design work for him in a 2D sense, making posters, doing ads for um, magazines. And it was really, really, really rewarding. And so after I graduated and introduced myself to uh, 3D animation, Maya back then was version one, Photoshop was version five. I managed to cobble together enough of a um, portfolio and applied for this um, in, uh, to this internet company called iHug, who obviously, you know, the Swimming Cat um, TV ad um, ended up in their marketing department. And that was the next 18 months of my life. I only screwed up one um, print job, which sadly was 25,000 prints. And I I felt really, really bad about that. And um, that was, you know, that was quite a good learning experience. So I guess that was the beginning of the interaction design journey for me. Um, I ended up being a um, flash banner ad designer for them and that led me to the world of action script which um, was a strange new territory but I you know the internet was finally coming to bloom and the idea of experimental web design was really in vogue so I dove headfirst into that and that led me to um, 
after effects and it gets me to where I am right now. And alongside that, though, you've um, obviously developed and uh, have a career as an educator. Um, so, yeah. you know, what, what led you to that? And then also, um, you know, do you maintain kind of that design practice alongside education or what's what's your kind of split look like? After I finished at um, IHUG, I worked at a company called Digital River for a wee while. And then I started getting into um, HTML coding and CSS web design back when, um, well, it was before HTML5 and there was a lot of fooling around with frame sets and it was kind of very clunky and horrible. And I was sitting in my home office going, "Mm, I see this being a cul-de-sac for me at the moment. What on earth am I going to do? And almost only within the hour, the phone um, rang. It was one of my tutors from Unitech, which is where I studied, saying, we're down a lecturer and we remember you took to Adobe Premiere very, very well and you know some 3D. And I just managed to chip in. Oh, I also know ActionScript and Flash authoring right now. And they go, let's come and have a talk. And um, so... I, I I I return and on, on the other side of the fence, and that was the year two thousand. I managed to get a little bit of time off from Digital River. They said, "Well, hey, you know, this is an opportunity. Um, you should take it." So I had quite a hybridized work balance for a while. But after the next semester, the number of papers. You know, two more were added on. Another semester, I was nearly full-time. Another semester, I was full-time. So it was quite a natural evolution, and I grew into the position. And, um, yeah, I really found my feet because it was being able to share my technical knowledge and being able to be able to and I don't mean this critically, but I, I think those that enter education think about their own education experience and figure out what could be done better. So it's it's an evolutionary process. And I, I think I had that with me at the time. So it is a huge investment. And back then, as you'll remember, student loans had to pay interest on them. So um, I wanted to make sure that our nation was investing and paying in the right thing. So I wanted better for the future generation of learners. Does that answer it? Yeah, definitely. Um, alongside now that kind of, you know, full, well, uh, full-time education role, um, do you still dip in and out and do kind of personal or like commercial projects? And, and yeah. how, do, how does it inform your um, role as an educator? One of my main inspirations in design has been um, Al Robertson, who was um, who is still a graphic designer and who was um, the kind of lead graphic designer um, at, at Unitech. And he introduced me to the work of Ken Garland and the first things first. And coming from a socialist, um, democratic socialist mindset, it was like, yeah, this is the thing. We're not just selling dog food. We're not selling things that 
sell themselves, we should be using our skills to communicate the the needs of the world and needs of communities. And and that I try to um, live and breathe with my um, own practice right now. So last month, myself and Paul Woodruff, we um, had a book published called Picky Toy, which is about a four-year research um, project that involves bringing the ability for creative practices, bringing that to homeless communities. Paul found through his research that there is a very distinct relationship between physical health and mental health. And one of the ways to stimulate positive mental health is through creative practice. So the project in short, and I I hope I'm not doing it any discredit, was enabling these communities that are on our streets to be able to creatively express themselves in two-dimensional forms and in three-dimensional forms, and for them to have exhibitions and therefore for them to be seen as as humans, as creative human beings, and for their work to be exhibited and for them to attain some mana and for them to have their own creativity to become a source of income for them instead of hustling on the street. And so the logical um, step was for them to be in a book and for that story to be told and for that, that book in itself to be something that is very, very tangible and concrete and shareable when organisations like LifeWise Trust are um, seeking for um, seeking community involvement or partnerships. Because a business frame of mind will say, well, what value is returned? And so the book actually does that speaking far stronger, far more saliently and far more human than any PowerPoint presentation can. That project has led me to um, print. I have my own Resograph um, print set up studio um, with my partner, Emma Smith, and we have been printing books of poetry. The first one we did was um, a book titled Me, which was a man who has gone through the People at Risk Services um, organisation. He was deported to New Zealand as a 60-year-old man um, who had his wife, family, children, grandchildren, house, business in Australia, and he had a tracksuit and $50 in his pocket. And it totally broke him. He got to the lowest point in his life. And the way that he got himself out of the hole was through creative writing. It certainly wasn't the world's best poetry, but it was real and it was heartfelt. And and I felt that it needed to be published because if he's been through that journey, there's other people going through that journey. And for people to read of that, it might give them a chance to express themselves. Last year, uh, I was lucky enough to work with Johnny Kafoed at um, Assembly and um, was it last year or the year before? It all goes as a blur. And I worked with him on a motion graphic sequence for the um, EECA, which was a 90-minute motion graphic sequence on the conservation of energy. 
and um, that involved that was a huge project and it was really quite incredible. Um, through the years, I've worked with Assembly a few times as a graphic designer or as part of the motion design team, mostly teaching. That takes about 80 to 90 hours a week. When there's, when there's time, there's um, project and commercial work because you need to be influenced. You, you need to know how the job actually is and what people expect and where the pitfalls are. Teaching graphic design isn't necessarily theoretically driven only. You've got to have experience. Otherwise, you're not really preparing students for the reality um, post-graduation. It's quite different, um, those areas that you practice in and are obviously drawn towards in terms of that uh, motion motion and digital. Um, and then, you know, your uh, more personal projects, which are print, publication, and, um, you know, even the risograph printing. So what is it, you know, about those mediums kind of for you personally? Um, and do you think that they have, they're still kind of, there's more impact in in the print and the and the um, publication than some of the online channels. It's it's all visual communication, and it's being able to. I, I think it's important to have a wide set of tools because we are we are a society of signal makers and signal receivers and the need to kind of break through the noise is is more important these days than ever. Uh, I feel that to be multi-talented is is completely necessary because you, we need for for a message to get to a person for for someone to actually read it instead of just see it they've got to look twice and so having a really strong sense of typography, being able to communicate or elicit meaning out of a person in as, as poetic a way as you can, it means that you're, you're resonating with someone. It's, it's not that we just live on, you know, white crusts of bread alone. We, we, we as a species enjoy variety. I, I guess in terms of technical practice, I, I'm in that space, but we, we can't rest on any one skill. And then Thinking, I suppose, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I was just going to go into that, um, that UX question mm. that we, we have right now of, you know, all websites are suddenly starting to look all the same and all apps mm. are starting to look the same. So, you know, if you dedicate yourself to 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 just one discipline, you have you're at a risk of becoming your own monoculture. Mm. And so, I think uh, having a range of approaches and output methods, it means that there's the chance for cross infection, and you may even one day be at the risk of finding a strange new territory. Mm. Now. That yeah. might mean fame, but it certainly does mean communication and being able to use yourself to say something important to the world. So then it's teaching those, oh, it's, well, it's teaching the overall umbrella of yep. what it means to be a designer. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at what it means to be a designer from, let's say, Seek, 
it's a really frightening territory because you you need to be you need to be a graduate who's fresh who has a couple of years of experience, who can think on their feet, work to a tight deadline, know every piece of software that's ever existed, be a team member but can go it alone. And, you know, I, I wish I wish marketing departments sometimes would just shut the hell up because I, I think the writing is turning people off for, to apply for those jobs. It's it's too gushy. It's too overladen. I'm I'm not here to criticise any any other um, spectrum of the world. You need to be able to communicate. You need to know a hierarchy of communication. You need to understand that less is more. You need to open a space between what's being said and how it's being heard, because we're a you know. It, I won't go off on a tangent, but we mature visually and semantically very quickly as a species. We are still evolving. So the idea of the madman approach of talking down to people, I think, in today's day and age is is nothing short than capitalist tyranny. I think we need to involve people in the conversation. And so, therefore, a range of skills uh, an ability to be beside a person instead of just, you know, leaning down on them saying, you must buy spam is really important. So I think that's part of the student journey as is um, getting the idea out really quickly. And I, I know I'm repeating myself a bit, but avoiding that myth of the perfect, it, it doesn't exist. Just to be iterative, to be able to, ask to be able to make mistakes the mistake is the most beautiful thing in the world because it certainly is a way for you to change I I always worry when a student gets something good the first time because maybe they've been lucky or maybe they've established their own style but you can't say they've learned anything and if we're separating so much money from from people for only three years worth of education there has to be more than just get, getting deeper into your own rut. So different approaches, different technologies, different ways to say, I've made this thing. What if I photograph it? What if I reso print it? What if I offset print it? What if it's, um, what if we use liquid light and expose it onto a 3D form and then re-photograph it? What if we project it? What if it moves? What if it's 3D? What if it becomes packaging? Even if a student isn't good at all those things, as a graduate, and this is why I really believe in learning through your hands, as a graduate, they have the chance to say when there's a team talk about a project, what if we did it this way? Instead of just being there and nodding along and saying, think themselves, yep, okay, as long as they don't mention Illustrator, I'm going to be fine. The fear of Illustrator I still find really charming. Yeah, I think that I'll just keep on making words. You know, in terms of what you're saying about not uh, embracing those mistakes and really establishing that kind of research and iterative um, process, um, then I think as a graduate, instead of um, being turned off by those adverts, it's, you know, it's just getting to getting to meet the designers and the studio 
and and working with your um, your tutors, but also those people that are going to hire you in the industry to um, to to guide you and see that you've got that that process mm. and that and that courage to experiment. Um, mm. You know, it's mm. in some ways I think as a graduate, you don't need to worry that it's up to you to know whether it's good or not or whether it's right or not. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's bringing that, it's bringing your um, process and your uh, self to, to the work and to the studio and working, you know, with the different uh, team members in terms of their knowledge and expertise and experience um, as a collective, as a team on projects. I, I think the most vital thing for a, for a graduate is to be able to say why they did what they did and what it means. Yeah. And 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 how they came to understand that meaning. Mm. If, if you can do that, you're showing to the industry that you're ready to keep on learning. Mm. And that's the thing. It is a career. There is no finite ends. Mm. There is no gold watch at the end of it. Um, it's just a constant, you know, your backpack gets fuller as you keep on climbing the mountain, but you're enjoying every damn step of the way. If you have the, that ability to say those three things, then I, I truly believe that those are the keys to the city gates because designers that have been in it for a while are really good people. They do have a a tacit understanding that we work for people, for people, that they are used to a collaborative and sometimes stressful environment and they still love it. And they're as hungry for new ideas and new ways to think as graduates themselves. And so maybe there's the fourth thing which which a graduate needs, which is bravery, to just walk up to someone and say, hey, I saw your work. It made me think of this. Was was that where you guys were heading? Because everyone loves to talk about ideas in our industry and, and that's what keeps keeps me alive most days of the week. Do you think instead of having that, you know, courage or bravery, I mean, uh, talking to someone about this last year and he um, implored me in, instead to simply be myself, and be honest. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't really mean putting on a brave face. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, we're kind of getting back to that insecurity thing as mm. well because no one's quite sure. But we're quite happy to collectively walk our insecurities around the place as well, which is which is really nice. Be yourself, a- absolutely, because. And this is one thing that we talk about at all year levels um, in, in study is that you are the only you there is and your filters and your histories and your neighbourhood and your culture is is really, really special. You are part of a group, but the way that you see that group and then have experienced that group is absolute magic. So... This is why we quite often rail against students just using Instagram um, as their as their feed or Pinterest as the only place where they research because 
all you're doing is setting yourself up to make work that already exists and work that already looks like work. And so you, it, it's a form of entropy. But I, I guess to argue the other way around, if you can take your experiences and be influenced from your visual world and still tell your story and still involve your community, then then you're then you've found quite a big sweet spot, which is what from what I've heard is what industry's looking for. So over the you know 20 plus years that you've been working and teaching, um, oh my <laughs> uh, what are some of the major changes that you've seen? Yeah, antlers, shields, paint drips, drop shadows, bevels, grunge fonts, Edward Recife. It's so fashion orientated. It, it, it's it's in this constant state of kind of a, a creative eczema where it's just always flaking off and 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 falling on on the desk surface. It makes me appreciate. I, I I guess I'm not exactly answering your question, but it makes me appreciate certain things. I mean, we're going back to this idea that I've been chatting about with the digital dark ages the 90s and 2000s with the ubiquity of computers, the democratisation of technology, which is really, really important. There was some really strange, messy stuff out there which didn't communicate, but at least it was, you know, the irrational part of a brave new world. Where we are now seems to be getting a little bit, a little bit stuffy, a little bit generic. It does make me appreciate, though, that, you know, the work of Armin Hoffman and Joseph Mueller-Brockman and Wolfgang Weingart and, you know, we could just say the Basel School, Emil Ruder, Karl Gertzner, created something that was quite eternal. Everything that's, I mean, it's modernism. I guess with Wolfgang Weingart, we, we, we move towards the post-structural or, or the um, deconstructed. And now where are we at? I mean, that's come and gone. We've had these kind of three great ages of graphic design. D.W. Dwiggins in 1922 saying that all these craft practices had come together and are now graphic design. And so was a way to kind of cut the um, umbilical cord from the old world the mess that created for us. The Swiss movement tried to change things up again. The post-structuralist deconstruct, deconstruction movement tried to move us away from corporate modernism, the minimalism of that, that the Swiss school became. And, and that's the thing. Graphic design as a living practice is always trying to stay one step ahead of corporate intent um, at a creative side. But, you know, again, when we think about website design and app design, it, it now is corporate territory. And, you know, UX research is this new grounds for people that are wanting to diversify their portfolio away from accountancy and things. And, of course, people have a right to change their jobs. And... The UX space is really important because you never want, you never hear anyone blame themselves for not understanding a book 
And I think that's something we never think about. You know, we never blame ourselves for not understanding the poster, but we blame ourselves when it comes to technology. And that means that the user is separated from the little black screen they've probably spent over a thousand dollars on. And, you know, it, it is used for more than just looking at cats and arguing with strangers. So it needs to work properly, but yeah, does it need to be so generic? I'm still not answering your question though. I think you are and and kind of talking about kind of what you see today and then it's like, you know, you're kind of talking about what um, the future potentially looks like and, and what you're saying is that we're potentially standing on this precipice of something new, of that unknown. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm. And the next creative collapse when, yeah. you know, will there be another visual punk rock? Undoubtedly. Um, but it might not be punk rock. It might be the next visual disco. Or, mm. you know, we we have since the 1980s been living in this world of constant revision where um, there's always the, the comeback or this retro spirit. So when I think about my favourite designers, I, I think of New Zealand designers, people that come to mind, people like Toby Kurno or Johnny Kafoed or Alan Dare or um, even colleagues like John T. Valentine and even um, graduates, people like Sarah Gladwell and... What they are able to do is, you know, they are they are modernists and at the same time they are postmodernists. So we we are in this a modern world. And what makes them good, what makes them excellent, what makes them the candles I flutter around like a brainless moth, they shift and change, and their work is, for want of a better word, it's exquisite. Johnny's work is this living, breathing embodiment of collage. It, it is a matter of great happiness to actually see friends and colleagues' works and just to lean back and go, wow, that's, that's timeless, that's perfect. How did they do that? How is that possible? And that takes me right back to being a three-year-old again, looking at a piece of paper and going, what are these squiggles? What does it mean? These things are magic. I guess I'm really just a sentimental, romantic child at heart. And it comes back, I think, to that concept, though, of the of the designer and that toolkit that a designer has rather than, as, as we were talking about, you know, specialising um, in any one particular kind of technical area or output um, in terms of those designers that you know, manage to maintain that practice over time and and that output's always yeah, there and, yeah. and, and transcends, uh, you know, shifts and changes in That's technology right. and culture. Yeah, you're a conduit. <laughs> you're, you're a pipe. You're, you're a, a filtering pipe of, of culture and history and, of course, a lot more than just graphic design. You know, and, there's nothing more boring than just drawing all your influence mm. from graphic design. As you said, going up the mountain, the uh, your backpack just gets fuller. Um, and but that's how you retain your your love and hunger. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. The, the the bigger the bag is, the lighter the steps are. Almost, it's mm. as if your encumbrance 
is is all of of history and practices. It's all laden with helium or something. That that's probably a nice kind of segue or leads into kind of my final two questions, really, in terms of um, of how you stock your backpack and how you disconnect and reconnect to yourself. Or are you always connected because you have a love and a hunger? Yeah, I, I think it's number two, and I, I think that's what I'll blame my insomnia on. Most nights it's three to five hours sleep, so there's there's a bit of looking at the moon or wearing out the carpet in the hallway by wandering up and down, but usually I'm on Cinema 4D or I'm writing feedback for students. It's It's good to be a human. And it's good to practice one's humanity at every chance. And, you know, for me and for many of us, for everyone listening probably, it's it's about being a designer for communicating the needs of the world so it's captured and memorable. It's about living a life in design and what, what living and what life means to you is um, different mm. to everyone. So... That's where I think it's, you know, maybe there isn't almost that kind of disconnect. It's um, figuring out what, what your life and design looks like and and being yourself and uh, having that courage to live that life. Gosh, I'm, I'm going to sound like a contrary um, person, but <laughs> I, I'm really, really interested in, in the students and the graduates mm. because... You know, these people lay down twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, and at the end of it, they need to have a job because, quite frankly, they're our future taxpayers. And I like living in a world with schools, hospitals, and roads, cycleways. Let's say cycleways. So, um, you know, I, I am in my mid fifties, and my knees need replacing, and my eyes are pretty screwed. So. I'm going to be costing the hospital a lot of money, so we need those taxpayers. And therefore, it, it really is a burning desire without trying to oversell getting the best for the students. Because mm. my my design heroes are New Zealanders because New Zealand bats way above its weight. If you look at any, New, you know, award-winning New Zealand design work, it's equal on the international on the international stage, but it's produced with less people and less money and less time. So, you know, I'm really, really be I'm really proud to be part of New Zealand's design landscape. I don't care if I'm famous or not, but knowing that I make students, I get students that make more money than I do, that own a house way before I manage to afford a house, that fills me with intense happiness. And finally, would you like to share any words of wisdom with other designers and creatives out there? Oh, no. (laughs) Um, There's there's (laughs) two kinds of people in the world. There's those in the middle of the dance floor and those with their backs against the wall watching. I'm I'm the second one. I think think New Zealand design is amazing. Keep doing your job. Think about offering more internships to students. Don't judge a designer on how old they are. I I think there are parts of our industry that has a bit of an age bias. I realise as I get older, 
that, you know, with age comes a lot of great benefits. And so, you know, if someone's, if there's an opening for a design junior and someone who's 45 applies for it, they should have equal chance because it means that there's more life experience and what makes design better is life experience. No, really, I can just say to all those people in the middle of the dance floor being um, lit well and perfectly, just just keep keep going, keep doing. You're an inspiration. Come share your wealth with students. We know you're busy. Students get sick of hearing from the same lecturers day in, day out, and the interaction with industry is is vital for making a better a better culture for future designers. Now, Mahi, well, really appreciate your uh, time and uh, energy today and your mahi.